Hello everyone, um, this is Intravenous Medication Administration for 243, Module 2, Part A, Week 3. Um, okay, so IV medications are administered intravenously by the following methods. So one is as mixtures within large volumes of IV fluids. Two is by injection of a bolus or small volume of medication through an existing IV infusion line or intermittent venous access, heparin or saline lock, and by piggyback infusion of a solution containing the prescribed medication and a small volume of IV fluid through an existing IV line. IV fluid therapy is used primarily for fluid replacement in patients unable to take oral fluids and as a means of supplying the patient with electrolytes and nutrients. When using any method of IV medication administration, patients should be closely monitored for symptoms of adverse reactions. After a medication enters the bloodstream, it begins to act immediately and its action cannot be stopped. Thus, nurses need to take special care to avoid errors in dose calculation and preparation. They must carefully follow the rights of safe medidmen, double-check their med calculations with another nurse, and know the desired action and adverse effects of every medication administered. If the medication has an antidote, it must be available during administration. When administering potent medications, the patient's vital signs are assessed before, during, and after the infusion. Advantages of IV root is emergencies when fast-acting medication must be delivered quickly. It's also preferred when constant therapeutic blood levels need to be established. Some medications are highly alkaline and irritating to the muscle and subcutaneous tissues. These medications cause less discomfort when given intravenously. Safety alert. Because IV medications are immediately available to the bloodstream after they are administered, verify the prescribed rate of administration with a drug reference manual or a pharmacist before giving any IV medication. This step ensures that the medication is administered safely over the appropriate amount of time. Patients can experience severe adverse reactions if IV medications are administered too quickly. Of the three methods, large volume infusions or mixing medications in large volumes of fluid is the safest and easiest. Medications are diluted in large volumes, 500 to 1,000 mils, and compatible of compatible IV fluids such as normal saline or lactated ringer solution. Vitamins and potassium chloride are two types of medications commonly added to IV fluids. However, continuous infusion presents risks. The IV fluid is infused too rapidly, the patient may suffer circulatory fluid overload. An IV bolus, or push, involves the introduction of a concentrated dose of a medication directly into the patient's systemic circulation. A bolus has the advantage of requiring only a small amount of fluid to deliver the medication. Therefore, the bolus is useful when the patient is on restricted fluids. However, an IV bolus or push is the most dangerous method for administering medications because the nurse has no time to correct an error. Also, a bolus may cause direct irritation to the lining of the blood vessels. Before administering a bolus, confirm the placement of the IV line by obtaining a blood return through the IV catheter or needle. The inability to obtain a blood return suggests that the needle or catheter is in the patient's tissues or is resisting against the vein wall. Never give a medication intravenously if the insertion site appears puffy or edematous or if the IV fluid cannot flow at the proper rate. Accidental injection of a med into the tissues around a vein can cause pain, sloughing of tissues, and abscesses depending on the medication's composition. The rate of administration of an IV bolus medication is determined by the amount of medication that can be given per minute. For example, if a patient is to receive 4 mils of medication over 2 minutes, give 2 mils of the IV bolus medication every minute. 
Research each medication to determine the recommended concentration and rate of administration when delivering a medication IV push. Consider the purpose for which the medication is prescribed and any potential adverse effects related to the rate or route of administration. Okay, this is skill 34-6, adding medications to IV fluid containers. Um, this skill cannot be delegated. And your equipment is a vial or ampule of prescribed medication, syringe of appropriate size, so 5 to 20 mils, a sterile needle, 2.5 to 3.8 centimeters, 19 to 21 gauge with special filters if required, diluent as indicated, so sterile water or normal saline, sterile IV fluid container, bag or bottle, 25 to 1,000 mils in volume, alcohol or antiseptic swab, label to attach to IV bag or bottle, medication administration record or computer printout. Okay, your steps. Check the accuracy and completeness of each MAR. Um, check the patient's name and bed name, root dosage and time of administration, copy or rewrite any portion of the MAR that is difficult to read. Assess patient's medical history. Collect information necessary to administer the drug safely, including med action, purpose, adverse effects, normal dose, time of peak onset, and nursing implications. When more than one med is to be added to the IV solution, assess for compatibility of the medications. Assess patient's systemic fluid balance as evidenced by skin hydration and turgor, body weight, pulse blood pressure, and ratio of fluid intake to urinary output. Assess patient's history of medication allergies. Perform hand hygiene. Assess IV insertion site for signs of infiltration or phlebitis. Assess patient's understanding of the purpose of the medication therapy. Prepare prescribed medication. Use aseptic techniques. Ensure that you compare the label of the medication with the MAR two times while preparing the medication. Perform hand hygiene. Compare the labels of the medication and the IV fluid bag with the MAR or computer printout. Add the medication to a new container, usually in the medication room or at medication cart. Solution in a bag. Locate medication injection port on the plastic IV solution bag. The port has a small rubber stopper at the end. Do not select the port for the IV tubing insertion to, or air the vent or the air vent. B. Solution in a bottle. Locate the injection site on the IV solution bottle, which is often covered by a metal or plastic cap. C. Wipe the port or injection site with alcohol or an antiseptic swab. D. Remove the needle cap or sheath from the syringe and insert the needle of the syringe or the needleless device through the center of injection port or site. Inject the medication. E. Withdraw the syringe from the bag or bottle. F. Mix the medication and IV solution by holding the bag or bottle and turning it gently end to end. G. Complete the medication label by printing the name and dose of the medication, the date and time of administration, and your initials. Apply the label to the bottle or bag, being careful not to cover any essential information pre-printed on the bottle or bag. Spike the bag or bottle with the IV tubing. Take the assembled items to the patient's bedside at the right time. Identify patient using two patient-specific identifiers. Compare patient's name and one other identifier, so the hospital identification number on the MAR computer printout or computer screen against information on the patient's identification bracelet. Ask patient to state his or her name if possible for a third identifier. Prepare the patient by explaining that the medication is to be given through the existing IV line or a new line that will be started. Explain that no discomfort should be felt during the medication infusion. Encourage the patient to report symptoms of discomfort. Connect the infusion tubing or spike container to existing tubing. Regulate the infusion at the ordered rate. Critical decision point. Some medications, potassium chloride, can cause serious adverse reactions, including fatal cardiac dysrhythmias. These medications should be infused on an IV pump. Check the institutional guidelines or policies indicating which IV medications require administration on an IV pump. Add the medication to the existing container. 
critical decision point. Because you cannot know exactly how much IV fluid remains in an existing hanging IV container, you are unable to determine the exact concentration of the medication in the IV solution. Therefore, it is recommended that medications be added to new IV fluid containers whenever possible. Um... Prepare a vented IV bottle or plastic bag. Check the volume of the solution remaining in the bottle or bag. Close off the IV infusion clamp. Wipe the medication port with an alcohol or antiseptic swab. Remove the needle cap or sheath from the syringe. Insert the syringe needle or needleless device through the injection port and inject the medication. Withdraw the syringe from the bag or bottle. Lower the bag or bottle from the IV pole and gently mix the medication in the IV solution by holding the bag or bottle and turning it gently end to end. Rehang the bag or bottle. Complete the medication label and apply it to the unprinted side of the IV solution bag or bottle. Do not cover the imprinted label of the IV solution. Regulate the infusion to the desired rate. Use an IV pump if indicated. Properly dispose of equipment and supplies. Do not recap the needle or syringe. Discard the specially sheathed needles as a unit with the needle covered. Perform hand hygiene. Observe the patient for signs or symptoms of medication reaction. Observe the patient for signs and symptoms of fluid volume excess. Periodically return to the patient's room to assess the IV insertion site and the rate of infusion. Observe the patient for signs or symptoms of IV infiltration. Ensure that a label is applied to the IV tubing. The label must state the date and time the IV tubing was opened and must be attached to the IV infusion system. Consult with agency policy regarding frequency of changing the IV tubing. Assess the IV tubing frequently for integrity and occlusions. Ask the patient to explain the purpose and effects of the medication therapy. Okay, um, if an adverse or allergic reaction to the medication happens, you're going to follow institutional policy or guidelines for your appropriate response to and reporting of adverse drug reactions. Notify patient's healthcare provider immediately and add the allergy information to the patient's medical record. In the case of signs of fluid overload, so abnormal breath sounds, shortness of breath intake greater than output, you're going to assess the patient for compromised circulatory regulation, so vital signs, ins and outs, focused respiratory assessment, and cardiac assessments. You're going to stop the IV infusion and you're going to notify the healthcare provider immediately. In the case of swelling, warmth, redness, and tenderness at the IV site indicating phlebitis, you're going to stop the IV infusion and discontinue IV. You're going to treat the IV site as indicated by institutional policy. And if continuation of IV therapy is indicated, insert a new IV. In the case of coolness, pallor, and swelling at the IV site indicating infiltration, you're going to... Recognize that some IV medications are extremely harmful to the subcutaneous tissue. You're going to provide IV extravasation care as indicated by institutional policy, or use a medication reference manual or consult the pharmacist to determine the appropriate follow-up care. Hypersensitivity is an excessive or aberrant immune response to any type of stimulus. It usually does not occur within the first exposure to an allergen. Rather, the reaction follows a re-exposure after sensitization or buildup of antibodies in a predisposed individual. There are four specific types of reactions. Most allergic reactions are either type 1 or type 4 hypersensitivity reactions. So type 1 is anaphylactic hypersensitivity. It's the most severe. Um, rapid and onset anaphylaxis is characterized by edema in many tissues, including the larynx, and is often accompanied by hypotension, bronchospasm, and cardiovascular collapse in severe cases. It's an immediate reaction beginning within minutes of exposure to an antigen. Primary chemical mediators are responsible for the symptoms of type 1 hypersensitivity because of their effects on the skin, lungs, and gastrointestinal tract. 
Um, if chemical mediators continue to be released, a delayed reaction may occur and may last for up to 24 hours. Clinical symptoms are determined by the amount of the allergen, the amount of mediator released, and the sensitivity of the target or organ, and the route of allergen entry. Type 1 hypersensitivity reactions may include both local and systemic anaphylaxis. Type 2 is cytotoxic. occurs when the immune system mistakenly identifies a normal constituent of the body as foreign. Um, it may be a result of cross-reacting antibody, possibly leading to cell and tissue damage. Um, they're associated with several disorders, for example, myasthenia gravis. Um, the body mistakenly generates antibodies against normal nerve-ending receptors. In good pasture syndrome, it generates antibodies against lung and renal tissue, producing lung damage and kidney injury. And then we have type 3, which is immune complex hypersensitivity. and involves immune complexes that are formed when antigens bind to antibodies. These complexes are cleared from the circulation by phagocytic action. Um, they're deposited in the tissues or vascular endothelium. Two factors contribute to injury. The increased amount of circulating complexes in the presence of vasoactive amines. As a result, there is an increase in vascular permeability and tissue injury. Um, these complexes are cleared from the circulation by phagocytic action and they're deposited in tissues or vascular endothelium. Two factors contributing to injury are the increased amount of complexes in the presence of vasoactive amines, which I think was just written up here, and I don't know why they've written it twice. Okay, and then there's type 4, which is delayed type hypersensitivity. It's an immune reaction in which T-cell-dependent macrophage activation and inflammation cause tissue injury. This type of reaction to the subcutaneous injection of antigen is often used as an assay for cell-mediated immunity. So, for example, the purified protein derivative skin test for immunity to myobacterium tuberculosis. Okay, anaphylaxis is a clinical response to an immediate type 1 hypersensitivity immunologic reaction between a specific antigen and an antibody. The reaction results from a rapid release of IgE-mediated chemicals, which can induce a severe life-threatening reaction. Pathophysiology is type 1 IgE allergic reaction to an antigen, a foreign substance that has entered the body, caused by crosslinks of an allergen with an allergen-specific IgE antibodies found on the surface membrane of mast cells and basophils, leading to cellular degranulation. Subsequent release of histamine and other bioactive mediators causes activation of platelets, eosinophils, and neutrophils. Histamine, prostaglandins, and inflammatory leukotrienes are potent vasoactive mediators that are implicated in the vascular permeability changes, flushing eutocaria, angioedema, hypotension, and bronchoconstriction that characterize anaphylaxis. Smooth muscle spasm, bronchospasm, mucosal edema, and inflammation, and increased capillary permeability result. Symptoms of anaphylaxis are sudden and onset and progress in severity over minutes to hours. Um, local reactions usually involve eutocaria and angioedema at the site of the antigen exposure, although possibly severe non-allergenic anaphylaxis reactions are rarely fatal. Systemic reactions occur within about 30 minutes after exposure and involve cardiovascular, respiratory, GI, and integumentary organ systems. For the most part, the treatment of non-allergic anaphylaxis reaction is identical to that of anaphylaxis. Common causes are listed in this chart that I'm not going to read. Um, penicillin is the most common medication to cause anaphylaxis. And... 
clinical manifestations. So anaphylactic reactions produce clinical syndrome that affects multiple organ systems. Reaction may be categorized as mild, moderate, or severe. Time from exposure to antigen to onset of symptoms is a good indicator of the severity of the reaction. The faster the onset, the more severe the reaction. Mild systemic reactions consist of peripheral tingling and a sensation of warmth, possibly accompanied by a sensation of fullness in the mouth and throat. Nasal congestion, periorbital swelling, pruritus, sneezing, and tearing of the eyes can also be expected. The onset of symptoms begins within the first two hours after the exposure. Moderate systemic reactions include flushing, warmth, anxiety, and itching in addition to any milder symptoms. More serious reactions include bronchospasm and edema of the airways or larynx with dyspnea, cough, and wheezing. The onset of symptoms should be the same for mild reaction. And for severe reactions, they have an abrupt onset with the same signs and symptoms described previously. These symptoms progress rapidly to bronchospasm, laryngeal edema, severe dyspnea, cyanosis, and hypotension, dysphagia or difficulty swelling, abdominal cramps, vomiting, diarrhea, and seizures can also occur. Cardiac arrest and coma may follow. Severe reactions are also referred to as anaphylactic shock. Avoidance of the allergy or allergen is the best way to prevent anaphylaxis. Um, if avoidance of exposure to allergens is impossible, an auto-injector system for epinephrine will be prescribed. People who are predisposed to anaphylaxis should wear medical identification, such as a bracelet or necklace, which names allergies to medications, food, and other substances. Medical management depends on the severity of the reaction. Initially, respiratory and cardiovascular functions are evaluated. If patients in cardiac arrest, CPR is initiated. Supplemental oxygen is provided during CPR or if the patient is cyanotic, dyspneic, or wheezing. Epinephrine in a 1 to 1,000 dilution is given subcutaneously in the upper extremity or thigh, may be followed by a continuous IV infusion. Most adverse events associated with administration of epinephrine or adrenaline occur when the dose is excessive or it is given intravenously. Patients at risk for adverse effects include older patients and those with hypertension, arteriopathies, or known ischemic heart disease. Antihistamines and corticosteroids should not be given in place of epinephrine, however, they may be given as an adjunct therapy. IV fluids, so normal saline solution, volume expanders, and vasopressor agents are given to maintain blood pressure and normal hemodynamic status. In patients with episodes of bronchospasm or a history of bronchial asthma or chronic obstructive pulmonary diseases, aminophylline and corticosteroids may be given to improve airway patency and function. In terms of nursing management, the patient is experiencing an allergic response. The nurse assesses the patient for signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis. Airway, breathing pattern, and vitals are assessed. Patient is observed for signs of increasing edema and respiratory distress. Prompt notification of rapid response team, the provider, or both is required. Rapid initiation of emergency measures, so intubation, administration of emergency medications, insertion of IV lines, fluid administration, and oxygen administration is important to reduce the severity, the reaction, and restore cardiovascular function. Nurse documents interventions and used and the patient's vital signs in response to treatment. Patient who has recovered from anaphylaxis needs an explanation of what occurred, instruction about avoiding future exposure to antigens, and how to administer emergency medications to treat anaphylaxis. Patient must be instructed about antigens that should be avoided and about other strategies to prevent recurrence of anaphylaxis. All patients who have been experienced an anaphylactic reaction should receive a prescription for auto-injectable epinephrine devices. The nurse instructs the patient and family in their use and has the patient family demonstrate correct administration. Anaphylactic shock is caused by a severe allergic reaction when patients who have already produced antibodies to a foreign substance, antigen, develop a systemic antigen-antibody reaction, specifically an immunoglobulin E 
mediated response. It provokes mast cells to release potent vasoactive substances such as histamine and bradykinin and activates inflammatory cytokines causing widespread vasodilation and capillary permeability. Most common triggers are foods, especially peanuts, medications, and insects. Um, three defining characteristics, acute onset, presence of two or more symptoms that include respiratory compromise, so reduced BP, GI stress, and skin or mucosal tissue irritation, and cardiovascular compromise from minutes to hours after exposure to the antigen. Signs and symptoms may present within two to 30 minutes of exposure. However, occasionally some reactions may not develop for several hours. Patient may complain of headache, leg-headedness, nausea, vomiting, acute abdominal or dis- pain or discomfort, pruritus, and feeling of impending doom. Assessment may reveal diffuse erythema, generalized flushing, difficulty breathing, such as laryngeal edema, bronchospasm, cardiac dysrhythmias, and hypotension. Characteristics of severe anaphylaxis usually include rapid onset of hypotension, neurologic compromise, respiratory distress, and cardiac arrest. Anaphylactoid reactions present similarity to anaphylaxis, but are not mediated by IgE responses. Anaphylaxis and anaphylactoid reactions are often clinically indistinguishable. Medical management. Treatment of anaphylactic shock requires removing the causative antigen when possible, so discontinuing the antibiotic agent, administering medications that restore vascular tone, and providing emergency support of basic life functions. Fluid management is critical as massive fluid shifts can occur within minutes due to increased vascular permeability. Intramuscular epinephrine is given for its vasoconstrictive action. Diphenhydramine, such as Benadryl, sorry, known as Benadryl, is administered to reduce the effects of histamine, thereby reducing capillary permeability. Medications are given intravenously. Nebulized medications, such as albuterol or provental, may be given to reverse histamine-induced bronchospasm. If cardiac and respiratory arrest are imminent or have occurred, cardiopulmonary resuscitation is performed. Endotracheal intubation or tracheotomy have may be necessary to establish an airway. IV lines are inserted to provide access for administering fluids and medications. Anaphylaxis and specific chemical mediators are discussed further in Chapter 53. Um, So the nurse has an important role in preventing anaphylactic shock. We must assess all patients for allergies or previous reactions to antigens, so medications, blood products, foods, contrast agents, and latex, and communicate existence of these allergies or reactions to others. Nurse assesses patients' understanding of previous reactions and steps taken by patient and family to prevent further exposure to antigens. When new allergies are identified, the nurse advises the patient to wear or carry identification that names the specific allergen or antigen. When administering any new medication, nurse observes all patients for allergic reactions. This is especially important with antibiotics, beta blockers, angiotensin inhibitors, aspirin, and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Previous adverse reactions increase the risk that the patient will develop a reaction to a new medication. If the patient reports an allergy to a medication, the nurse must be aware of the risks involved in the administration of similar medications. Hospital and outpatient diagnostic testing sites, nurse must identify patients who are at risk for anaphylactic reactions to contrast agents, used for diagnostic tests. Nurse must be knowledgeable about clinical signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis, takes immediate action if signs and symptoms occur, and is prepared to begin CPR if cardiorespiratory arrest occurs. Nursing alert, patients with known allergy to iodine or fish and those who have had previous allergic reactions to contrast agents are at high risk for anaphylactic reactions. This information must be communicated to the staff at the diagnostic testing site, including x-ray personnel. 
Community health and home care nurses who administer medications, including antibiotic agents in the patient's home or other settings, need to be prepared to administer epinephrine subcutaneously or intramuscularly in the event of an anaphylactic reaction. After recovery from anaphylaxis, the patient and family require an explanation of the event. The nurse provides instruction about avoiding future exposure to antigens and administering emergency medications to treat anaphylaxis. Note that there are some um, videos to watch and a required learning activity as well. Enjoy!